Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, which is on page 8 in your worship folder. And it says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Go. Ooh, hello. A few weeks ago, we wrapped up a series that we were going through called Resurrection Relationships, about how the resurrection impacts our relationships, how it empowers us to live in a new way with those who we are sharing life with. And the last sermon that we preached on that is our relationship with our enemies. And perhaps you were here that Sunday or you were watching on Facebook or listened to it later on our podcast and you thought to yourself, yes, I want to live that way. I want to have a a resurrection relationship. I'm going to walk in this new way with my enemies. And you drove out of here and you got angry at somebody. And you thought, well, that's all good and fine when it takes place in the chapel and that preacher up there is telling me about it. But in real life, in real life, That's not possible. That's almost fantastical. It's almost preposterous. It's almost like that can't happen at all. And I thought, well, well, let's just keep in that vein. Let's just talk about what seems preposterous, what what seems fantastical, what, what seems like it's not even reality. And so we're going to spend some time in the book of Jonah. Maybe you've heard of the book of Jonah. If you, if you have spent time in church, you've probably heard the story of Jonah. And, and I dare say, if you've never stepped foot in a church and this is your first time, you've probably heard the story of Jonah. You have probably know this story. And if you know it, you think of it as preposterous, maybe. As something that couldn't possibly happen. Uh, let me just share the story with you real quickly. So there's this guy who's an Israelite, and he's a prophet. And there's this kingdom that is taking over the world that are known for their viciousness, that are known for the way that they treat those that they conquer. And they're waiting, they're on the gate, waiting to come in and take over the nation of Israel. And Jonah, who's minding his own business, God says to him, I want you to go tell the Assyrians that I'm about to destroy them. That if they don't repent and change the way they're living, I will destroy them. And Jonah thought to himself, not a good idea. Why would I tell my enemies that? And he heads the exact opposite way. He goes and he gets on a boat to get away. And on that boat, a storm comes. And there's sailors that are obviously on that boat with him, and and they're trying to figure out how to get safely back to shore. And in that process, they're getting rid of their cargo, and they're all praying to their other gods, and they're doing all sorts of things. But Jonah is asleep, and they wake him up, and they say, can you do something? Pray to your God. Finally, it comes to their realization after they've thrown some lots, some dice to figure out who it is that is doing this, that's brought this upon them, that it's Jonah. 
And Jonah says, toss me out. And they say, no, 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 we don't want to do that. And he says, toss me out. And so they do. And at that moment, the sea calms. And it says God had prepared a giant fish to swallow Jonah. Three days later, after being in this fish, he spit up on dry land. Probably right where he started. And he gets up and he sings a little song and we have that recorded for us in chapter 2. And he goes to Assyria and he starts at one end of the city and he walks to the other end of the city and he says, quickly repent because destruction is coming. Quickly repent for destruction is coming. And the oddest thing happens. These Assyrians who, who are known to be battle worthy, who are known for their atrocities, who are known for their angry living, who are known for the way that they treat those who are other. They listen. And from the king down to the poorest, they repent. And they say, we must stop doing what we're doing. Now, Jonah, you would think, would be like, huge conversion, starting a church, mega but instead, he goes up on a hill and looks over the city and says, ah, I wish that place was destroyed. God provides a little plant to grow up and shade him. And then he provides a little worm to come and eat that plant so that the shade is gone. And Jonah says, why don't you kill me? I knew you were merciful. I knew this would happen. Insane. That's how the book ends. Isn't that cool? I mean, no Hollywood ending, no, no sort of wrap up a, a beautiful bow where they're like, Jonah, Jonah, you're so great. And he starts this mega church and people are coming to know God and coming to know. No, none of that. How the book ends is Jonah angry about the fact that God was merciful to his enemies. Preposterous, insane, cr crazy. Now, throughout history, there have been people who said, oh, it's allegory, or it's this, or it's that. All three Abrahamic faiths, so Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all have stories of Jonah. They all talk about who Jonah is. They all revere Jonah. Now, in later years, Christians, we've gotten to sort of punch on Jonah a little bit and call him the reluctant prophet or the prodigal prophet or the one who ran away or we don't want to be like Jonah, but that's just us being self-righteous, which we'll talk about as we go through this book. One of the cool things about the Jewish way that they engage with Jonah is they have the Talmud and they tell stories upon it that we don't have here. And one of the things that they talk about, now you want to talk about preposterous, is that Jonah is in the belly of this giant fish. And the giant fish begins to talk to Jonah and saying, I'm really nervous and scared. And Jonah says, what are you scared about? You've got a human being stuck inside of you. I'd be scared too. And he says, well, I'm a little scared because the Leviathan, which is this larger sea animal, is going to eat me. And Jonah says, well, because God prepared you for me, I'm going to help you. So swim up next to the Leviathan. And so this big fish swims up next to the Leviathan. And from within the, Leviathan, within the fish, Jonah says to the Leviathan, if you eat this fish, 
God prepared for me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lasso your tongue and tie it up so other fish can come and eat you. And the Leviathan goes away so that they could be saved. Cool, huh? Almost as good as Geppetto in the big well sitting, you know, there with the table and books and putting things on. It's fantastical, right? Like, it can't even be possible. Like, why would we even think, like, how did it get stuck here? But here's the thing. The story of Jonah is true. And I believe it is true, not just allegory, not just some great story to tell our children, because Jesus said it was true. How fantastical is that? You see, in Matthew 12, and if you want to turn there on your devices, or some of you have Bibles there uh, stuck in your pews, you can grab those up as well. In Matthew chapter 12, we have this great story of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. I'll give you a minute. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the hearts of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generations and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Fantastical. Amazing. Jesus says that the sign that's going to be given to them is the sign of Jonah. This idea that Jonah is in the belly of this giant fish for three days and three nights. Jesus calls to his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And he says, look, something greater than Jonah has come. They would have known Jonah. They would have understood Jonah. They would have revered Jonah. They probably were a little mad at Jonah for going and preaching God's mercy and having the Assyrians repent. So for us, as we engage in this book, the first place that we come to it is understanding that we're going to see throughout Jonah a picture of Jesus. Jesus himself says that. The sign I'll show you is the sign of Jonah. And so Jonah, for us, as we enter into it, we don't just see it as this historic book that just sits there in the Old Testament that all three Abrahamic faiths talk about. We see it as foreshadowing and pushing us towards Jesus. So every sermon that we go through, every time that we talk about this book, we're going to be looking for where Jesus shows up. The the second thing that we're going to see is what is central about this entire book. 
And that's the verse that Allie read for us today. Now that verse is found right at the end of the song that Jonah sings after he spit out of the giant fish. We imagine that, and, and you'll find out in a couple of uh, a, a weeks why I would say it's after he was spit out of the fish that he sings this song. So he sings this song, and at the very end of it, he says this, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Throughout the book of Jonah, this is the center. This is the proclamation. This is the lesson. This is the thing that we will see happening over and over and over again in this story. That salvation comes from the Lord. That it belongs to God. And the response to that salvation is thanksgiving and sacrifice. You'll see it happen in chapter 1. You'll see it happen in chapter 3. You'll see it happen with those who are unlikely to do it. Which will be awesome. And you'll see it not happen with the one it should be happening with. Except here, he says it. He sings it out. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So as we read through this book, as we go through this story over the next few weeks, we're going to see this theme play out. So it's important for us to unpack this theme a little bit. So let's look at that last phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord, or the way the NIV uh, translation says it is that salvation comes from the Lord. It's because that Hebrew word there for belongs or comes, it's really not even a word, it's just this little peep. You can ask Stephen what it is, I can't even pronounce it, I don't even pretend to try. And in that, it can mean come, it can mean belong, it can mean from. I think that's awesome for us as we see this, that choice of word, what it means and what it brings and the way that the NIV and the ESV have kind of translated it out in different ways for us because it helps us to understand this proclamation that goes out that salvation, first of all, is of the ownership or the propriety of God. That all salvation in the world, all salvation that is to come, anything that moves us from death into life, the thing that moves us from darkness into light, the thing that takes us from being an enemy to being a child, that is owned outright, fully sole proprietor of God. The creator of the universe, the one who pursues in steadfast love. It is God's. No one else owns it. No one else can take it. And so for us, as we enter into this story of Jonah, what we're going to see over and over and over again is that people, and us as well, will look for other things to provide salvation. We will go towards things that are not salvation because we think they'll be better. And God stands aside and says, I own salvation. It is wholly mine. You can't get it anywhere else. It is limited in the sense that it is mine. <laughs> and I want to provide it for you all. I want to give it to who I want to give it to. And I will bring it forth in the way that I want to. Why? Because I own it. Salvation is my concept. I thought of it. 
I created it. I'm the one who owns it. The second thing when we look at that word is salvation belongs to the Lord, meaning ownership, but it also comes from the Lord. So while we're off looking at other things to bring salvation, God says, it comes from me as well. Not just that I own it, but I am the one who brings it about. I am the agency, not just the owner of salvation. I am the agency of salvation. I'm the one who gives it its power. I'm the one who makes it real. I'm the one who animates it so that you can receive it. Oh, and Jesus tells us so well in Matthew chapter 12 how that takes place. You see, Jesus is the agency of that salvation. He is the one who takes that phrase and makes it reality. He's the one who takes all sin, all brokenness, all hurt onto himself on the cross so that we can receive God's wholeness and righteousness. That it is through him and by Jesus that we step into this place of salvation. And so what you'll get to see in this book is over and over again, even though Jesus isn't there, but he is because God's there. (laughs) Because remember, it's this triune God who lives in community and loves to pursue us in that way. You will see Jesus moving in people's hearts so that they recognize the ownership of salvation and it is then through that the agency of salvation comes about because he brings salvation. It comes from him. He is the cause of it. So then what is the response to that? Well, he says it right above it. But then I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. That when we recognize that the God of the universe, the one who is mighty and holy and true, the one in his steadfast love that continues to pursue us, that God, The creator of the universe who knows who you are better than you know yourself has rushed out to pursue you, to bring you back into whole relationship. My response is one of thanksgiving. Of gratitude that wells up within me that says it's something I've been looking for. It's something I've tried. There's a great country song that says I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. We do that. But when we find God, better yet, when God finds us, our response is gratitude, of thanksgiving, of saying it is only in you that I am saved. It is only in you that I am made whole. It is only in you that I know who I am. It is only in you that my life is complete. It is only in you that I am able to have relationships with myself and with others and the place that it is only in you. How glorious that you would come to save me. But it keeps us from being egocentric. We don't just think, thank you for saving me. And if we keep saying that over and over again, we think that we become the subject of that thanksgiving. Right? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. No. But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. It means that it is not about me. That even though I'm receiving that salvation, even though I'm giving gratitude for that salvation, ultimately it is not about me. It is about what then God does through me. 
as a sacrifice to those who are around me. That I move into the place of giving all of who I am, my complete life, to the work and the call of what God has done. Not to live radically or not to live so differently, but to live as we were designed to live from the very beginning of the foundation of the world. I think one of the reasons why we get so upset with Jonah, or some do, is because Jonah does something that we think no good Christian follower of Jesus should do. Yet all of us do. That if God calls us somewhere, then we must radically put aside everything and go. And I know you might be thinking to yourself, well, Lee, you moved halfway around the world to come to Perth. It's Perth, folks. It's Perth. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, right? But here's the thing about that. We aren't called to live radically following Christ. We are called to live sacrificially following Christ. That means we put aside any of our grandiose ideas of what we're going to bring to the kingdom of God and we allow the kingdom of God to affect us at such a deep level that we walk in tune with the way God made us to be from the very beginning and foundation of the world. And oftentimes that means we look to be ordinary people living in love, encountering those that God brings in our path to bring mercy and kindness and justice and love. And in the end, it's so fantastical and extraordinarily, it's almost like believing that a guy would get swallowed by a giant fish. Can you tell I like the book of Jonah? The the photo that's on the front of the worship booklet is from my personal collection. You'll see another one later in this series that's another painting about Jonah from my personal collection. I like Jonah. Jonah's a good book for me. I like to run away from what God's called me to do. And yet God pursues gently to bring us back to this place, to the center. The center that is this. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me pray. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. God, you pursue us in steadfast love so that we can be made and remade into what you have created us to be. That you call us to live lives of thanksgiving and sacrifice because salvation comes from you. Father, if there's anything that is not yours today, we just ask that it burns up and it goes away. But if there is something that is from you, just let it take root in our hearts so that it will bear good fruit and that it will proclaim loudly of your steadfast love. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.